The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Paul Mason of the Pacific Forest Trust. That's now for the last decade or so, right? That's but right. I met him when, uh, like me, he had hair. And he was much more, uh, much younger, as we all were, in the 90s. Uh, I believe it was in the mid to late 90s you were uh, up in the North Coast. Yep. And I always associate you with the spotted owl, soil erosion, earth first, Julia Butterfly, it's probably totally... Wait, so you were in Earth first? This is <laughs> No, I wasn't, but that was... John and I first met back in the mid-1990s at sort of the height of the timber wars around uh, Pacific Lumber Company up on the North Coast, yep. trying to save the last ancient redwoods. I was working for the Environmental Protection Information Center at the time, doing a lot of the litigation to try and, you know, protect the last ancient redwoods, and that ultimately led to a large uh, brokered deal where the federal and state governments kicked in several hundred million dollars to buy most of those uh, last ancient redwoods and create some large um, conservation planning documents to deal with the rest of the property. Is that deal still in effect? Is that still in force? Yeah, you can go visit the Headwaters Forest Reserve Uh up outside of Eureka, 7,500 acres, um, and those other documents and um, deals are still in effect, even though Pacific Lumber Company went bankrupt, and that property is now owned by Humboldt Redwood Company. Oh, which wow. is okay. owned by the Fisher the Fisher family of uh, Gap Clothing fame. Uh-huh. Ah. So much better management nowadays. Um, it has nothing to do with the environment, but I used to own a 1980 Scirocco that I bought from a friend of mine. Okay, Sweet. And it's first major, this is a true story. You're the only person ever that heard that yeah. sentence. <laughs> <Never>. Sweet. <laughs> great car, and I drove it. The first, uh, my shakedown cruise was Sacramento to Fortuna, uh-huh. and then east from there into the headwaters. I actually drove, it wasn't a four-wheel drive. I can't believe to this day that I did it. I didn't get stuck. I slid down a hill of forest duff. I do remember that. But other than that, um, it was pretty spectacular. The trip was spectacular, but the headwaters was incredibly spectacular. Well, that was a very dramatic time. There was so much news. I mean, there was Julia Butterfly Hill up in the tree, and and then you had Earth First bombings. And uh, I think around the same time, you had the Unabomber who was peripherally, well, not intentionally related to that, I think, but was perceived because of the forest bombing? Yeah, that was largely, the Unabomber stuff was largely, you know, it was very entirely distinct. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a heady time, um, you know, lots of high-profile, high-intensity clashes, and that was really, you know, it was, it was the last big fight over saving the last ancient redwoods that we're going to have because they're largely either gone or protected. There's a handful of little pockets mm-hmm. here and there, but that era is largely over, and the conversation has had to evolve since then. Like, mm-hmm. we're no longer trying to save the last pristine, untouched places. I yeah. mean, there's a little bit of that, but more of it is, okay, well, we've logged most of California once, twice, three times, built the cities, built the railroads, built the uh, mines, and these forests now look nothing like they did, you know, before Europeans came in and... and did all that sort of logging and mining, and we're seeing the effects of climate change, and mm-hmm. how do we change our relationship with for- with forests and with fire and try and get back to a situation where it's a little bit more natural. Is climate change sort of uh, the overarching 
Uh, it's, it seems to me the most compelling, the most commonly discussed environmental issue that at least I've seen here for the last few years. But when we had talked earlier, a while back, long while back, it was species, species protection, timber protection, uh, habitat conservation, things like soil erosion, canopy. I mean, all these timber forest-related topics, I, I just don't hear about them that much anymore. They may still be as important now as they were then, but as far as the public discourse goes, as far as the, 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 narr- the public narrative anyway, the environmental community seems to be very much more focused on global warming and on climate change. And, you know, at least the politics of it here shows that. Well, certainly I think the overall focus around environmental issues generally has been very heavily on climate change yeah. and particularly on mitigating greenhouse gas emissions, try and reduce our overall level of greenhouse gas emissions. You know, AB 32 passed way back in 2006, mm-hmm. set that, you know, reduced back to 1990 levels by 2020. SB 32 passed a couple of years ago, which sets, you know, what, 80% below that by 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we spent a lot of focus on that sort of, you know, let's try and stop making the problem worse. I think that the conversation is just in the last year, and we'll see more of it this year, pivoting around to, okay, we're not actually going to stop climate change. We're going to have to deal with these impacts. What does that look like? Um, and how do we try and <clears throat> work with our natural landscapes to make them better prepared for the world that we're going to be living in, mm-hmm. where it's going to be hotter and drier in some places. You know, storms are likely to come as, you know, both larger, um, larger events, more extreme weather events. And the way that we've managed forests and other natural lands in California for the last hundred years has left us in a decidedly less resilient condition, you know, where um, when you have a very simplified forest landscape, you know, water is going to move through those watersheds much more quickly. And it's going to be, I think, more important than ever to uh, make sure that, you know, as we're getting these large storm events, that that water is moving down into our lower rivers and into our reservoirs more slowly and, you know, sort of stretch out that runoff longer into, you know, whether that be into the summer or into the storm event so we don't get these really flashy runoff events that then overtop dams and cause the sort of catastrophes that we saw in Oroville a couple of years ago. Is, is the burnout, the fire, forestry burn, you know, the last two years have been just horrific as far as forest fires go. Is that related to what you do as far as conservation goes? Is there a conservation piece to curbing forest fires or dealing with um, Yeah, there's going to be a couple of different um, ways that sort of forest management interfaces with fire. I mean, some of our challenges with fire in the last few years come, um, you know, from the extreme drought that we had the last decade. Mm-hmm. You know, that has really, of course, made things worse. But the condition of our forest is very different than it used to be as well. You know, when you have, historically, generally speaking, and I'm using a broad brush here, you know, you think about the Sierra and the Cascades, you had larger trees spaced more, more widely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after logging and in the modern era of fire suppression, trees have come back very thick, very densely. So you have many more trees um, to the acre than you did historically. And when fire gets into that sort of forest, it burns very differently. Whereas, you know, when you have these big, you know, five-foot diameter pine trees and the first branches start 100 feet off the ground, fire can burn through on the forest floor and it just burns some of the small trees and the, the you know, 
detritus on the on the forest floor and helps maintain that sort of healthy forest condition. When all of the trees are 40 years old and the branches go all the way to the ground and the trees themselves are only 20 inches in diameter, when a fire gets in there, it just burns everything. Are these like the replanted or the planted trees? So after clear cutting, then you go in, you know, timber companies were planting, uh, you know, basically there were unnatural stands. I've seen some of those from afar and it looks like a checkerboard almost. It looks too regular to be in nature naturally. Yeah, I mean, whether or not they're going back out and planting trees or whether it's regenerating naturally, they're all the same age, more or less. Mm -hmm. So when you have that sort of condition, it does create, um, you know, this condition where you have fire behavior that is more extreme than if you had this more mature forest with um, what also happens to be better habitat and better, you know, sort of watershed function as well. Mm -hmm. So working with landowners to try and change how forestry is done to get back to some of those characteristics, mm -hmm. that I think is going to be the big opportunity in the coming years. Because, you know, we can't throw enough um, emergency response, enough firefighters, enough helicopters and tankers, you know, we can't solve this problem by brute force. We're going to have to actually deal with the condition of the landscape and, and how that's, uh, what sort of fire behavior we're seeing. Mm -hmm. You've um, worked on these issues through, or during Wilson, I know, at least during Wilson, um, during Davis, during Schwarzenegger, during Brown, and now we've got Newsom just sworn in yesterday. Do you see any, um, do you have any thoughts about how this new administration, you're going to interact, environmentalists are going to interact with the new administration? Are you, do you, are you positive? Are you wondering? Are you questioning? Do you have any? Yeah, does he have? I really don't even know the Newsom's history with the environmental movement. I'm not really familiar with any of his, his actions. Well, it, is, it does continue to be you know, one of the big questions. We certainly expect him to be an environmental champion. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe he appointed Jared Blumenfeld to be the secretary of Cal EPA mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, you know, that's a, certainly a positive, um, positive appointment. Mm -hmm. You know, his father was a, a great um, sort of forest and watershed champion, um, Bill Newsom. Oh, huh? uh, okay. was always That was always one of his real um, core values. Uh -huh. okay. um, so I'm hoping that that, you know, runs in the family. So he didn't just harvest money from the Getty Trust. He did a lot of other things. <laughs> that's a little reporting humor there. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, is there any, are there any other appointments other than the EPA, the Cal EPA, uh, that you know of now to the extent he's done them? I don't know if he has or not, but are there other appointments that are, in, that are positive, send positive signals for you folks? We haven't really seen very many of them yet. Yeah. We haven't mm -hmm. seen any appointments over at, you know, the, the Natural Resource Agency or any of those departments yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. certainly he's appointed a lot of very competent people in the horseshoe, in the governor's mm -hmm. yeah. office, mm -hmm. in the finance, and, you know, I will always take competence as a first criteria um, <laughs> yeah. you know we can educate you about the individual issues but you know people who are thoughtful inquisitive um, and yeah. have, you know have the requisite skills is always the first call do you miss uh, working up in the uh, up the north coast it always seemed to me kind of idyllic I remember one time many many years ago going <laughs> into your office I think it was in Garberville mm -hmm. and it looks so cool. I mean, it's all in natural woods and posters all over the place. Not a neat desk in the whole place. It just and you're there. You're out in the middle of the boon, not the middle of the boonies, but you're almost in a forest glade. I mean, there's trees and everything. Every, and I thought, wow, this is this is how it's supposed to be. Do you miss any of that? Or? Uh, that was a moment in time and one that was 
was really pretty special. Mm-hmm. I mean, to come straight out of college and roll right into, you know, the highest profile forest protection campaign that I'll ever be involved with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there won't be another campaign to save the last big grove of ancient redwoods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those were heady days. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like, you know... It, it was in the olden days too, and by sort of modern standards. Like we didn't have cell phones, and you know the internet it's was amazing. New, the, 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 the internet was a new thing just coming on. <laughs> um, so it, it does feel like a whole different era. But you know the whole conversation has changed. I mean, honestly, we're not at a position where we can be fighting about you know three thousand acres or ten thousand acres at a time. We need to be looking across the landscape, across literally millions of acres and prioritizing where we're going to, as a state, take steps to try and create better forest conditions that are better prepared for the climate that we're going to be living in so that we continue to have the sort of water runoff and the water supply that we rely on as California. I mean, the overwhelming amount of California's utilized water comes from, you know, forested watersheds in Northern California, mm-hmm. largely up above Oroville and Shasta Dams. Uh, so making sure that we're actually getting those areas back into sort of a functioning condition where they aren't right now, mm-hmm. that's that's the challenge of the 21st century. Um, just one last question. You're, you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, before we got on the on the mic here, that you were going up to Colfax. Is does Did I understand right? The governor has an event up there, or there's something going on in, Colf- in, the, in the Sierra today? On the, the governor is making an announcement at 1 o'clock. Uh, related to fire and emergency response. I don't know the details yet. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, Paul Mason, thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, John. Foster, thank you. Thank you. And this is John Howard, and thank you, Monet, even though we didn't mention her a lot, but thank you. Our intern, Monet Muscat. (laughs) Hi, Monet. Hello. So our thriving internship program, by the way, last minute pitch, if you are a listener and you know someone who's interested in public policy and journalism and you think they would be interested in internship at Capital Weekly, we have as many interns as we can possibly take so it's usually about two but we yeah. can we can expand that so. but reach out to us and uh, just look on the website we have some information on there yeah. uh, with that shameless plug you can listen to us next time around take care bye-bye <laughs>